0: Hey friends, Andy Jenkins back. Another talk from the Hilltop. We are still kind of in this uh, series, I think. That's really what it is. Uh, Talking about men and women. I'm really discussing some concepts with you for, I think this is talk number five. This is probably the last one. And then I'm going to shift in some other direction of some uh, really a topic that i've been working on kind of developing for a few years i believe uh, i'll tell you about it in the next episode when we just do it how about that uh S- stronger is the name of the book there's a free link to an audio book down below I'd Love for you to take advantage of that there's no upsell or anything like that all you got to do is just kind of sign up for it and then boom you got it it is based on biblical insights for men on masculinity and spiritual leadership um people say what qualifies you to teach that i would say Honestly, I've messed up a whole lot in this area. And so I've kind of crawled out of a pit and tried to figure it out and sort it and seen the reliability of what scripture outlines and goes, hmm, I think that's where I got off track and maybe, just maybe I could implement some of that and do my best to help some other people avoid the same pitfalls or climb out of the same holes. And particularly, this is kind of my heart on creating some of this, is we got a bunch of kids coming behind us and um, simultaneously uh, it can help some men see maybe where they can get some things in alignment. But also, goodness, we've got a lot of kids and so I really write some of this for me as I'm exploring and learning, write it so that at some point in the future, my kids will pick it up and go, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, all right. This is a playbook. This is something that sure they can edit, they can adjust, uh, they are free to live their lives. But at the same time, hey, look, I got it, got it all right here. Here's here's the playbook. Here's here's the thing. So I would I would love for you to take advantage of that a uh, free audiobook that's down there, and uh, I think it gives you the free ebook as well. So if you're looking for just where's all the text, how do I find the scriptures, how do I find the verses? Yeah, absolutely, there's a paperback version that you can buy. We'd love to sell you one and send it to you, but you don't have to go to that expense in order to access the material. You can access the message absolutely free. Uh, today, I, I want to talk to you about, it's just really a concept that I've learned Uh, I've seen it in business. Uh, I've seen it in churches. And my guess is that you could implement this concept in family. And so really, it's one of the concepts that I'm trying to implement here uh, at at our house uh, at at the Hilltop. And it's, it's really this. It's creating a culture of wonder. Creating a culture of wonder. Okay, so here's, let me just get into it. Um, Men, you and I will always, even at our absolute best, this is not an excuse for failure. It's not an excuse for messing up, but uh, you and I are always going to show, even at our best, an incomplete and inaccurate picture of who God is. Uh, Regardless of how sinful we are, or regardless of how absolutely wonderful we are, we're never going to live up to that um uh, say that that performance line or that image uh fully God God is the model for us so he shares his name with us he shares his title with us as fathers uh when when we show an inaccurate p- picture it's not that god's bad it's that we we've messed up a lot of people in culture right now are saying, hey, um, we need to abandon father terminology and God altogether because men jack it up so bad. Well it's just the opposite. It's not that we need to abandon father terminology. It's that and, and pray to the mother, goddess or pray to just an abstract deity. Uh, God revealed himself as Father because he was trying to in that, display something that you and I as men are to emulate that we are to walk out. So he's the model for us, not we're the model for him. But simultaneously, as we walk it out, we have the opportunity to show other people what he's like. So, so it's, it's really this incredible honor. It's this calling that you have. Uh, and, and when we paint a poor picture, it doesn't change the nature of God. It means all the more that people, especially men, we need to fall humbly into the arms of who our Heavenly Father is. Um, we need to step into the grace of the one who is perfect, without fault, without blemish. Um, let Him nurture us more so that we can then pass on His love that we've received to our wives and to our kids. The beginning point of that is to fall into his grace um, is to fall into his embrace. It is to fall really in this environment of relationship. We are to model that relationship. Um, now really the, the goal that we would then have is that we embody that relationship and we pass that relationship on on to other people in the family. And our goal always should be that as fathers, uh, as husbands, that we not only love our wives as Christ loved the church, but that our children, they grow and are nurtured in the love and admonition of the Lord, is how Paul says it, uh, so that they grow up in that same culture and environment to then replicate and do the exact same thing, so that we're passing on That relationship to them. We're passing on the pursuit of that presence to them. We're passing on to them that they embody what we've been striving to embody, which is the overflow of a relationship full of grace, full of love, compassion, mercy, tenderness. Uh, Today in our culture, I I see that we we spend a great deal of time, energy, effort, ensuring that our kids are good at at Sports, they're good at the arts, they pursue a good education, they find a stable career. Those are all really noble pursuits, and we should do them well, and we should encourage them to enjoy the life that God gives them while we enjoy the life God gives us. Fundamentally, though, the Scriptures teach us that, catch this, the beginning of all wisdom is actually, per Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to come back to that word fear in a little bit. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. If they get this fundamental lifestyle choice down, if we get it down, men, everything else I believe that we've talked about for the previous four episodes that I talk about in the book, Stronger, again, audio book, absolutely free down in the show notes. If we get that right, everything else, I believe, starts having a better opportunity. It's not automatic but it starts falling in place. It starts aligning. Uh, If you ground kids in God, in truth, then we, by virtue of that foundation, help them take care of all of the other areas of their life. To that end, there's this refrain. I've been reading lately, back through from the book of Genesis forward in the Bible there's this refrain that you notice in Genesis um, that reminds us that one generation worshiped the god of their fathers and it created a ripple effect of God's blessing not just a ripple effect of oh we go to church on Sunday because why do we go because we go why why do why, why do we go well because they our parents went why do they go because their grandparents went why, why do I don't know we just go like we just raised this way we just go if we no 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 like in in Genesis you see God call people out of pagan cultures, and he gives them this purpose, and they pursue him, and blessing follows. You, you don't just see them blindly doing stuff. You you see it happening as this overflow of this relationship, and what occurs is that passes on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And I really feel today God intends for children to worship him and worship the God of their fathers, just like their dads and dads and granddads and their dads and granddads did. Um, maybe to say it another way, you and I, here's the refrain, we're to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what's in the scripture in Genesis. That's a dad, a son, and a grandson, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, after Jacob, you see the 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. We've been grafted into that story is what Romans eleven seventeen says. Now, God revealed himself to and through those men. And honestly, through the women that were with them in real time and in real space. And he wants to reveal himself to and through us and our offspring, our progeny, our our kids. So it, it would look something like this. Okay, so here's my, I was just kind of thinking through my family tree. My granddaddy's name was Fred Jenkins. My dad's name is Edwin Fred Jenkins. He's named after his dad. My name is Andrew Edwin Jenkins. So we got Fred Jenkins, Edwin Fred Jenkins, Andrew Edwin Jenkins. My firstborn is Noah Andrew Jenkins. You kind of see the naming thing going on there. Who's the firstborn of five boys. So part of my prayer and the teaching, uh, creating of this content is, is that my son and sons will worship the God of my grandfather, the God of my father, the God of me, so that when their sons are born many years from now, those sons and daughters will worship the God of Fred, Edwin, Andrew, and Noah, and the other boys. Then there there will be others, and then there will be others after them. So I, I endeavor this reality for each of my sons and daughters. I desire my children to worship the same God as me. I desire to see a legacy of Jesus' followers multiply as it extends down throughout mine and Beth's family tree that, that right now has 10 kids on the front line right there of all different ages, all different giftedness, five of them men, five of them women. Uh, over a decade ago, I actually officiated a, a wedding ceremony for a couple. Uh, they suggested that they were, Here's the, here's the quote, here's the title they gave themselves, non-practicing Christians. What, I mean, whatever that means. Though this faith was, here's another interesting thing they said, we're non-practicing Christians, but this faith is important to us. I, I didn't try to, try to reconcile it. Uh, they, they each agreed that they would not get in the way of whatever faith expression their potential kids wanted to pursue. They would empower their future children to follow, now here's another quote, whatever faith seemed right to them. Okay, so non-practicing Christians, whatever that is, but the faith's important to them, obviously. But they don't want to impose it on their kids. I mean, how would they if they don't practice it? They wanted their kids to be able to follow whatever faith seemed right. Just do do whatever, I mean, the refrain throughout the book of Judges is do whatever's right in their own eyes. Uh, biblically speaking, that makes absolutely no stinking sense whatsoever. The only other option is that a child worships an idol, which according to Isaiah forty-four seventeen, 17, is, is nothing. It's empty. You're worshiping air or it's a demon, according to 1 Timothy 4, 1 John 4, other places even throughout Deuteronomy. So because of this, uh, parents, especially fathers, they're told to train their children in the way they should go, not in whatever way they wish to go. That's Proverbs 22, six, train the child in the way they should go. Not just, Oh, Hey, you go, go, go figure it out. I mean, you think about it, like it's too important. You got one shot at life. Like, why would you just say, all right, go. I mean, like, we we don't even let kids figure out how to brush their teeth on their own. We don't we don't let them figure out how to take a bath on their own. We don't let them figure out how to drive a car on their own. Like we, why would we then just abdicate teaching them faith? Oh, go you go figure that out. You you got that? <laughs> no, maybe 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 not. You see, when we consider what's at stake with the kids it's it's easy to just kind of revert and go oh well it's heaven or hell no 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 the scripture says it's completely something different and when you get to heaven hell nobody can see that you know so it's like everybody thinks well I, that's uh, they can do whatever they want to here well according to the bible it's not just eternal stuff that's at stake like here now is what is at stake and literally the blessings of god in the present are what is part of what's on the table. The following God isn't just about eternal future. It's it's about the present. Remember, Proverbs reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The same verse goes on to say, fools despise such knowledge and fools despise such instruction. Proverbs 9.10. Now, I told you a couple minutes ago, I'm, I'm going to get back to that fear word and, and really define it because when you think of fear, you, you if you think of it in one way, you're going to go, yeah, I don't want that. If you think of it in the other way, you're going, okay, I, I can embody that and I can pass that on to my kids. So here's the setup. There are two kinds of fear presented in the Bible, uh, two different Hebrew words that we translate the same in English. And this is part of where we're missing the whole thing. And this is going to tap us into creating a culture of wonder. So... Word number one is pechad. So they have a whole different alphabet in Hebrew, but let me just transliterate it into English so you can kind of see it in your head. Pechad, P-E-C-H-A-D, pechad. It means dread, panic, hopelessness, and despair. This is the fear that David references in Psalms 23. Uh, that's the, you know, the Lord is my shepherd Psalm when he says, I will fear no evil because God is with me. He, he doesn't need to sense dread and despair because of the Lord's presence. That's, that's picad. That's one kind of fear. The other kind of fear is this, yura. Okay, so yura, let me transliterate it into English, Why I are a H. Yura, we transliterate it into the English, we translate it as fear, but it means Urah, a sense of awe, wonder, amazement, and respect. This Urah is the fear with which we need to view God. We should stand in awe and amazement of what he's done for us, not anxiety of what he might do if we step out of line. Those two words they're very different and they describe two very different types of leadership, two very different types of being stronger. Remember lead strong, love stronger. You're right. This is the way you do it. This is kind of So, the way we approach God and the way we approach earthly fathers, men, it varies greatly depending upon which definition we apply to this concept of fear. So if we think that respect, which honestly, respect is what husbands and fathers want. If we think respect equates with piqued, okay, piqued is dread, panic, fear, hopelessness. If we think that respect is that piqued, I mean, we're going to lead in such a way that our families constantly live on edge, wondering if we're pleased with them or not. Did they measure up? What happens if they got this on the grade on the school test? What happens if their sports game, if they lose? What happens if they mess up on their chores? What happens if they sleep in? What happens if they say something wrong? What happens if they have a bad day? If you're leading and think respect is picard, it will change the culture in a downhill way. If, on the other hand, that we realize respect much better relates to your raw, your raw is the wonder. All amazement, respect. Oh, man, we'll lead in such a way that our wives, our kids, even strangers, people that just come into your sphere of influence at the coffee shop and at the restaurant and at the workplace, like they are going to be overwhelmed with gratitude and a sense of security simply by our interaction with them. You'll embody grace in such radical ways that people will constantly find themselves amazed, even the people in your family. Um, one Sunday, one of the elders at a church was attending, uh, his name's Kevin, a, a, a tremendous man. He preached through Psalms 128 and he observed this, the Bible outlines blessings of the right fear of the Lord. And this is what he said. Uh, the blessings of creating this culture of your Ra. So that that's what he said. The Bible outlines blessings of the right kind of fear of the Lord. Remember, not not picard, dread, panic, hopelessness. The blessings of creating a culture of yourah, grace, overwhelm, surprise, delight, honor, gratitude. Okay, so here's here's the verse. He referenced Psalm one twenty eight one. Let me let me read it. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. Blessed is the one who, you got it, it's not Bacod. Blessed is the one who Uriah, the Lord. Blessed is the one who Uriah, all wonder, amazement, and respect the Lord who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears who, your ra, who all wonder amazement and respects the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel." Now, here's here's what I want you to notice. The blessings that he's talking about, they don't come from completing a checklist. These blessings that we all want to walk in, and I'm going to break them down here a little bit. I've got some notes right here over the next couple pages. Very quickly, these come as a natural overflow of creating the correct culture, Uh, the culture of your Ra, a culture of awe, wonder, amazement, and respect, not a culture of dread, panic, hopelessness, and despair. So, when you go through this passage, as Kevin taught that day, you see three specific blessings for men who walk in the fear, Uriah, all, wonder, amazement, respect of the Lord, in such a way that we create an environment of Uriah. Um, Here they are. Number one, work you like. Enjoy amidst the work. Number two, a wife you love. Number three, a wake of blessing you leave behind in and through those kids. We're talking about, remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Fred, Edwin, Andrew. So those are the blessings of the right kind of culture. It's work that you like, a wife you love, wake a blessing that you leave behind and even enjoy and see the fruit of as you're moving forward. Let me talk to them really quickly. The first is this, work that we like. Work is not a curse of the fall. A lot of people think work is a curse of the fall. Toil is the curse of the fall. Adam worked before the sin ever came into the human equation. However, it was as a result of the fall that his work began working against him. Um, the, The tension really right there, Adam was created from dirt. And so the the dirt starts bearing thorns and thistles. I think that tension really showed Adam a living picture of his rebellion against God. I think when our work kind of fights against us, it shows us a picture of that rebellion that we uh, so often do. Uh. The truth is that many men seek gratification and fulfillment through their work, and we do so at the expense of our families, but... This psalm right here, 128, it reminds us that uh, when we we prioritize the fear of the Lord, the urah, that work actually becomes something that's in its right place, and it becomes something where we do find fulfillment and purpose can follow. Now, if you're going well, how do I, how do I find that? Let me put another link in the show notes down below for the purpose book. Now I've got that one on paperback. so if you if you pay the shipping and handling for the purpose book, I'll send you the audio book. Uh, and some other access, I'll send you the book and there's some other courses and things that you can unlock. I'm making a note right here. You can get that book totally free. And again, it will unlock some other bonuses for you that will help you. How do I step into my purpose? How, how can I align that with, with work? How do I know what God set me here for? Well, that, that your rise, the beginning point of that. Here's the second blessing that's outlined in this passage is, this is a great imagery right here. It's, it's a wife you love. Uh, Specifically, we learned that your wife will be a fruitful vine. Now, here's what I love so much about this imagery. It's Psalms 128.3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Um, Vines grow incredibly fast. So a lot of people think, oh, golly, you know, the marriage, it's so far gone. And we go, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Vines grow quickly. You've seen them spring up out of the ground. Uh, Goodness, kudzu just take over something. Vines grow quickly. However, vines cling to stability. So men, the more you work on you, the stronger you become, the more readily your wife can align and climb up and cling to you. Here, it's important to remember this. Adam referred to Eve as, quote, the mother of the living, all living, before she ever bore children. So fruitfulness, a fruitful vine, it's not limited to just the kids. It includes the kids and so much more. Throughout the scripture, we see women who are skilled at teaching scripture, skilled at Managing households, skilled at e- even running businesses. In fact, uh, in the book Stronger, if you go all the way back to, the, and there's a, you know, again, get the audio book and the ebook will unlock free. Page seventy eight. Uh, really, it's kind of talking about Psalms, Proverbs, Proverbs thirty one. It talks about a husband having full confidence in her. Verse eleven of Proverbs thirty one. She provides for family just as he does. Verse fifteen. She purchases attractive real estate, that's verse 16. She actively trades with merchants, that's verse 18 and verse 24. She doesn't fear a harsh winter or a season of lack because she's got provisions stored, that's verse 21. She's a wise teacher, verse 26. She manages her household's affairs, verse 27. Her husband commends her verbally and leads their children to do the same, that's verse 28, rather than going, oh, your mom's so dumb, it's like he's bolstering her authority in the house. Her works are praised in the city gates, which is the place where business transpired. That's verse 31. Now, this is something that a woman can embody. And you can help by working on you and being stronger and being stable while you create that culture of of your ra. Um, now, there is a verse, let's talk about the other side of it. Proverbs 19.13 says, quote, A foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Those two miseries, wayward children and nagging women, often go together. Meaning this, there's a correlation between the kind of wife you have and the kind of children you're able to raise. Now, I'm not saying you need to swap out. I'm not saying do a wife trade. Um, to state it directly, if a wife is a nagging bag of hot air who harasses her husband all the time and disrespects him openly, the children in the home will become little parrots who follow her example and foolishly don't follow him to their own detriment. And the other works the same way. If, if the husband berates the wife, If the husband dishonors her, it will set the children on a different course. Um, There's a book, Domestic Tranquility, Carolyn Graglia. uh, She's a feminist author, self-proclaimed feminist author. She writes that in the 1950s, uh, men were not doing a good job of leading and loving their families. So you got to think back, okay, that's the Leave it to Beaver days. That's the Ozzy and Harriet days. Culturally, she's saying... uh, you, you can see certain things on television, I guess, but in the home, eh, weren't getting it done. Here's what she said. The wives didn't have the power to overthrow their husbands and rule the families as they desired, or as the feminists wanted them to do, so they recruited the children as their allies. They figured if they could undermine the husband's authority by targeting his respectability in the home, then the women and the children could control and manipulate and drive down the husbands and rule over those men. Now, pause right there. If, if you can just kind of think back to the first talk that we did in the series where I told you two unhealthy responses uh, between men and women. It might have been the second talk where because of the fall, men tend to get overbearing and just fight or they completely just check out and they just leave a oh, woman. You got it. You do it. I'm going to spend my time on all my hobbies. I'm going to spend my time on my Xbox. I'm going to ignore you and the children. You have it. Um, Watch any sitcom. Just during this week, during primetime, or go on Netflix or Hulu and grab something and just do a rewind of something that is airing on primetime. And just take a look at the husbands and dads you see. Most are going to be portrayed as pandering idiots, while the women and kids take pot shots at them at their expense, constantly undermining their ability to do anything productive. You will rarely see a strong leader in a family role, which is when This Is Us came out several years ago, I was shocked that they portrayed the father in such a strong role. Now for sure, he was imperfect. So he he's dealing with the substance abuse issue. That they were very honest about. He's working through it and walking, you know, but my goodness, simultaneously, and that's how it is for most dads, you're imperfect, okay? That's okay. Um, Not striving for perfection, striving to embody a culture of your Ra, all, wonder, amazement, people overwhelmed by grace and gratitude. Um, Showing them that because that is the embodiment of, of your heavenly Father, now Proverbs nineteen thirteen, a foolish son is his father's ruin. Quarrelsome wife, constant dripping. That that verse it really can show you in a nutshell how we jump from Ozzy and Harriet and leave it to Beaver to what we experience today. And it's it, it's men being foolish and overbearing, marrying, <laughs> I mean in large part, godless women. Which you, you see, like godly women, they, they they could do just about anything. Right? We talked about that in the previous episode. Um, But the children were recruited to overthrow the husbands and fathers who who honestly, I mean, goodness, were harsh and overbearing. Who wouldn't want to overthrow that and usher in chaos? Yet all of that, go back to it, the big question is not like, well, they did this, they did that, the women did this, the kids did. It begs the question, what if as men, we step back and created a culture of Uraah instead of creating an atmosphere of Pekahed? What if instead of dread, panic, hopelessness, despair, oh can't measure up, gotta police dad, what if it was grace? What if what if it was people are overwhelmed by acceptance? And when they mess up, they're pulled in close. You see, if that's what we're aiming for, the men would be to blame <laughs> biblically because we failed to step up and lead in a godly and redemptive way. If if we're doing that, I mean, I mean goodness. Nobody would want to overthrow that. That's the atmosphere that people want. The third and final blessing that's mentioned in this passage, it relates to the kids. Now, in that passage, remember, uh, he says in Psalm 128, 4, that the kids will grow up like olive shoots that'll be around your table. I I think it's an appropriate metaphor These fruit-bearing plants, they require about 12 years of focused cultivation, not 12 years of just waiting, 12 years of focused, intentional cultivation before they begin to yield anything. So like those trees, children require a massive front-end investment in terms of time and energy and even financial expense without much remuneration or payback. Uh, that, that's why many people punt the prospect of kids, or it's why when they're here, we push them aside. Adults, quite simply, we want to get on with our life instead of investing and bringing them in close because, oh, it's so much work. It It's a lot, but yet we're told that if we invest, oh, you start seeing the payoff, and when you see the payoff... And you see, like right now, we're in the season where we we've got some little ones, and we, we've got some that are still in that intense cultivation phase, and we've got some others that are kind of in the middle, that are kind of moving out in that. And you start seeing the fruit bearing, and you start seeing, oh goodness, this kid saved money and he paid cash for a car. Oh, and he's he's got a job, and he's got a plan for what to do the money. You start seeing that, and you start seeing others that are starting to discern God's call in their lives. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this with school, and I'm gonna make this turn, and I'm gonna pivot there. And and you start seeing the blessing of of one of them reaching out to their mom and saying, Hey, like, help me figure out how to budget this money and how to plan for the future. And you start seeing all these wins that are, that are wins for them because they get to experience the fruit of it. They're also wins for you because you go, Oh, Oh, the cultivation, like it, it's starting to finally kick in. How does it work best? It works best in a culture of, of your ra. That means time and patience. And if the tough work is done on the front end, oh, olive trees. They're said to continue bearing fruit for 20 plus generations. 12 years of nothing, 20 plus generations of payoff. And you go, oh, that starts coming back full circle. Uh, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Fred, Andrew, Edwin, on down through the generations, 12 years of investment for generations of ripple effect. I mean, if you got paid uh, for work that you did for 12 years ago, you're not going to get paid for 12 years. No salary for 12. But then we're going to pay you and your family after that 13th year for 20 generations, 20, you, you would take that deal every time. You would scrape. You would beg, borrow. Y- you would uh, squeeze just to get by. You would do without um, assets. You would punt off extra purchases. You, you would restructure hobbies differently. You would reorient your time focus on television. You, you would um, pursue other things to a lesser degree because you knew in year 13 – like It's just going to get easier, and the payoff of those 12 is it going to continue for for people debate. Is it generation 40 years, or is it generation 20 years? Let's just go on the low number and say the generation's 20 years. 20 generations, 400 years. I'll invest 12 for 400 of payment. You see? And how does it happen? It's culture. It's creating a culture of your rah, of awe, of wonder, of amazement, of gratitude, grace, Rather than creating a culture of dread, panic, hopelessness, despair, you go, what's the takeaway? Like the takeaway is not a checklist. The takeaway is work on the culture in your home. God how do you do that? Well, you, you gotta embody it. Like, you know, in the culture in your home, it's gonna happen by design. You create it, or it happens by default. It just kind of occurs. So you intentionally, this is where where Beth is so great, you intentionally set some things in place that you just do. You set some default responses that, you know, like kids are going to screw up. <laughs> yeah, this spouse is going to not get it right. Sometimes you just set some default grace responses of, okay, if that happens, here's, here's kind of the play we run. You bring people in close when there's that disconnection. You overwhelm people. You surprise them as God does. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, not his push you off and distance you that's going to get your attention and go, oh, now I need to turn around. At the end of it, it's grace. It's the culture. We get this. We, we see it everywhere. The, the culture, I'll give you an example of, um, I hate to pick on a business, but goodness, like the culture of Chick-fil-A is so different than the culture of KFC, even though KFC has better food. Uh, you go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, man, they've, got, they've got better chicken. They've got better biscuits. They've got actual vegetables, you know, probably processed, not picked fresh out of the garden, but you can get fries, green beans, different kinds of potatoes, mashed potatoes, corn, all all these other kinds. They've got better desserts at KFC. But my goodness, like the culture at Chick-fil-A, it trumps everything. You know, you you go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and, you know, there might be somebody at, at the checkout counter to help you. And they might say it that clear, or they might just look at you. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not clean, most of them. Some of them probably are, but the ones I've been to, kind of a little bit dingy. The culture, completely different than going into a Chick-fil-A. And, and you think about Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A is faith-based. Um, but um, the majority of the people in our city, or any city where there's a Chick-fil-A don't align with Chick-fil-A's faith tenets. The majority of the people in the city that frequent the Chick-fil-A don't even like the music that Chick-fil-A's playing. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is like people don't have to necessarily agree with you on faith terms. They don't have to agree with you with the music and the worship that you like. But when you walk into Chick-fil-A, it's not even young and hip. I mean, they've got some 15-year-old kids behind the counter. But you might be greeted by an 85-year-old person that's retired that's like, oh, I got bored being at home. Like, I just want to be out and greet people. You walk in, it's not like a young hipster type thing. It's just people with the culture of, hey, we're glad you're here. Hey, yeah, what can I do for you? Oh, they serve you? Oh, my pleasure. There's always something. It's quick. It's If they mess it up, it's like, oh, we're so sorry about that. I mean, they figured out even the drive-thru. You don't wait. I can't even figure out why when you go to other places, they're not just mimicking what Chick-fil-A does with the drive through it's, it's not like they're even hiding it. And it's a secret of, of how to move people through the drive through quick. But you go to these other places, it so often takes absolutely – takes the entire lunch break. Like Chick-fil-A, it's just like they're humming it and rocking it. Like they're just set up with the system. You go, why? It all has to do with this culture. It's not dread, panic, despair, hopelessness, pecade. It is this culture of—it's not even in their core value—but it's a culture of your raw. It is surprise. It is delight. It is overwhelm. Gratitude. Grace. So happy to pull you in close. My pleasure. Implement that in your home, and you'll walk into work that you love, a wife that you love, and clings to you, and kids that man the legacy just succeeds and it grows and it extends and 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 I know you might think I've, I've been there you know years ago not too long ago had to start completely over re- rebuilding life um and so maybe that's where where you're at there's this ancient chinese proverb though that might might speak to you. I think it would. It's helped me before. The proverb asked the question, when is the best time to plant a tree? The answer is 50 years ago. When's the best time to implement the right culture in your family? Man, it was whenever the family started. 15 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago, six months ago. That was the best time to do it. The follow-up question though, and, and and it's, super insightful. When's the next best time to plant the tree today? Plant the tree today. When's the best time to plant the tree? 50 years ago was the best time, right? You could be enjoying the fruit of it right now. When's the next best time to plant the tree today? Right now. Plant the tree today. Set the culture today. Just work on a few things Today, and if you've fallen short in this area, you've created a culture of peccad instead of your raw. we're prone to do that. I've done it. You just make the transition. You entrust the Lord to redeem the years the locusts have eaten away. That's a promise of Joel 2.25. And then you start enjoying the benefits as you empower your family to do the same. And he will exponentially multiply the time and the results. I guarantee it. I've seen it and lived it firsthand. Uh, you begin by submitting first. If you're a guy, Ephesians 5.21, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Yeah, you know, she says submit to each other. Don't wait for them to align. You do it. You create the culture. I promise. Like she is waiting on you and will step into it. Like she's she's probably <laughs> actually praying for, anticipating the moment for quite some time. And then begin surprising others with grace, freedom, ease, provide rest sacred refuge, and then the blessings of the Lord will flow. Not because you've earned them, not at all. It's grace, um, but you create a culture where people can enjoy them. You see it? Let's, um, let's park it right there. My prayer for you is that the Lord blesses you, that he keeps you, that he's gracious to you, that he shines his face of favor upon you, that you experience his, your that grace, that overwhelm, that delight, that surprise, that wonder, awe, and amazement, and that as you experience it, you just in creative ways ooze it to the people all around you, the people in the workplace, the people where you stop and just do the daily grind of getting the coffee, filling up the gas, every place that you step that the Lord goes with you. And most importantly, it centers and flows full force in your home. Take advantage of the audiobook and all the other links that are down below. I will see you in the next episode.